0: you have your Bible, you turn to Mark chapter 9. We're going to be reading the first 13 verses. So Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 1. And he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to them, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for you. 1 for Moses and 1 for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen, till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, saying, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he will suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. Will you pray with me? Father God, we just thank you for your word, Lord. We just thank you for this place, Lord, this physical building, Lord. But uh, it's not about that, Lord. It's about you. We just pray that you would meet us in this place, Lord, that your spirit would fill Jackie with your words, Lord, that each of our hearts would come to a deeper understanding and knowledge of you, but, Lord, that we would uh, grow in our surrender to you, Lord, that the word this morning, Lord, would help us to surrender and to know you more and to become more like you, God. And we just thank you for this time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: as we come to this part of the Gospel of Mark, Mark is divided into two parts. We talked a little bit about that last time. This first part of Mark, uh, actually this is right where it's going to divide. The first part was all about who is Jesus. And it kind of has its uh, culmination in that moment at at Caesarea Philippi when Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And you remember Peter gives the response. Peter says, you are... The Christ. He acknowledges that he's the Messiah. In fact, if we look at all the Gospels together, we see that you are the Christ of God, the Son of God who has come into the world. And so we have this proclamation of faith, this incredible moment where who he is is decided. But then immediately the next part of the book of Mark starts to turn its eyes toward the cross. And there's a disconnect there for the disciples. Because when they're proclaiming Him Messiah, they're looking for a kingdom. They're looking for a radical transformation of their world. And they're excited about that. And with the last thing they're expecting to hear Jesus say is, Yes, and the Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of sinners. And He will be crucified. And He will die. And on the third day He will rise again. They They... The disconnect begins when he starts to talk about the crucifixion. Their ears plug up, stop up. They don't hear. They're not able to hear everything that Jesus is telling them. And they get stuck. You guys ever been there? You guys ever been in a moment in your life and you're pretty sure that your life was going to take a right turn? And then as, you, as you're as you heading down the road of life, suddenly you discover that you took a left. And you, you didn't realize that you were going to take a left. It's not necessarily... Good or bad, but sometimes when that unexpected detour occurs, it causes us to lose sight of what's going on. And, and that's exactly what happens in, in Mark chapter 9 from 1 through 13. Jesus recognizing that they kind of been blindsided by this left turn, he gives them a special moment that they can hold on to something that's so vital for them and so vital for us to grab a hold of. You see, life is full of detours. Kathy and I, when we were... We, we never planned... How many of you guys planned a family? We never did that. I don't I, I don't comprehend that whole concept. All I, Family just happened. Kathy would call me, Guess what? I'm pregnant. And then she would usually follow that with, I just called my mom and she said, Oh, no. <laughs> and then... And then baby number two comes along. She called Jackie. Guess what? I'm pregnant. And then it would be followed with, I just called my mom and she said, Oh no. <laughs> <clears throat> I think it happened every time, didn't it? Even with Joe. So so we have our our, our our family happens. You know, we're the happen kind of people, in case you couldn't figure that out by spending ten minutes in church with me. So <clears throat> things just kind of happen and, and we just Kind of go along with it. But, but still, when things are happening, you have a plan, right? Don't you? I mean, when every one of those babies was born, I had a, a, a vision for, for what life was gonna be. I, I had a plan for JC. I had a plan for, for Cole. I had a plan for Joe. We, we, we can't help it. It just happens, doesn't it? You think, I'm gonna make sure they don't make the same mistakes I made. And, and I want to make sure they, they walk the road that they need to walk. And I, I want to make sure all those things, you know, we're we're hopeful for all those things. But occasionally in life, there's a detour. Right? You're going along and maybe things are going good for us. <clears throat> the detour that happened to us was when Joe was three years old and he was diagnosed as autistic. And that's a detour. <clears throat> all the plans and thoughts you thought we're going to be the way your life was. That, that changes, right? Now, it doesn't mean it's bad. It's just different. And you weren't expecting it. And it, when it blindsides you, you can kind of get rocked for a minute, right? And you can kind of get, be disappointed in how things are turning out. And you begin to mourn what you thought was going to happen. And we went through that. We, we had to go through a time where we mourned the child we thought we had. So that we could rejoice in the child we did have. We had, to, we had to be able to put away all those preconceived ideas. And that's exactly the thing that's happening with the disciples here. They thought they knew where they were going. And Jesus just rocked them with the whole, I'm going to the cross. And then, if that wasn't enough rocking, he gathered all the people together. Remember last week, he gathered all the people together and said, Now, if you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself. You gotta lose yourself to find yourself. You guys remember all that stuff? All those hard teachings. And <laughs> so I, the disciples are kind of rocked. And at the end of that teaching, we just touched on it last week. In in chapter 9, verse 1, look, Jesus says this. He says, He said to them, Assuredly I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. There's going to be this oncoming of the kingdom of God in power. And, and we get kind of hung up on this. I, I don't really <clears throat> understand the hang up, but, but let me help you guys. The kingdom is wherever the king is. Isn't it? And so Jesus is there and he's casting out demons and he said, if I cast out demons by the power of God, then what did he say? Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The king's there. Now when he stands before Pilate, Pilate asked him in his trial, are you the king? And Jesus said, I am, my kingdom's not from here though. My kingdom's not in this place. A spiritual kingdom. If my kingdom was from here, my servants would fight. So you are a king then, Pilate says. Jesus says, as you say. The king. And Jesus wants his disciples to understand something. The kingdom of God is wherever he's at. And the kingdom of God is intended to work in our midst in power, not weakness. We get, we get hung up on the idea. Now, now, I don't want to mess anybody's minds up. So, um, let me give you a brief synopsis of my eschatology. There's a billion eschatologies out there. Uh, mine is the right one. You guys are welcome to join me. Or you can have a different view. doesn't make any difference. But in my eschatology... I am looking for an earthly kingdom, actual kingdom, when Jesus Christ returns, sets up his kingdom on earth. Um, it's going to occur at the end of the tribulation period, I believe. He's going to set up his kingdom. We're going to see him rule and reign as, as king on the earth. And as I look toward that, I can begin to lose sight of the fact that Jesus told the disciples, some of you won't die before you see the kingdom of God come with power. And a lot of times the very next thing we have is a transfiguration. And the transfiguration is absolutely a, a vision of what it's going to be like when the kingdom of God comes in power. But it doesn't just happen in that moment and that's it, and it's a race. And now we're looking for thousands of years away before there's going to be any victory uh, in history with the church. I don't buy that. So we see the the Jesus show the kingdom come in power, and then we have The the resurrection. What's the resurrection? Man, that's a a great outpouring of the power of God in the kingdom, isn't it? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. What about the day of Pentecost? When the Spirit comes upon the church and the church is moved in power. Isn't that an expression of the kingdom of God in power? Is that the last time? Look through history. Look at all the revivals and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the movement of the church. Over and over and over again, you see the kingdom of God come about this place, our our land, our neighborhoods, wherever Christians find themselves. you can see the, the kingdom of God come in power. I think sometimes we sit around and we're waiting for something and we forget. That we have the Holy Spirit and everything that Jesus was able to do, we are able to do in His name as we follow Him according to His will to see God move in this place. And I I love, I am longing for the Lord's appearing. But I got a job to do. And that job that I have to do is to hear the words Jesus said when he said all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now how much authority is that? We got to do the all in Greek lesson again. So all authority is given to me in heaven and where else? On earth. So, that's all authority, isn't it? And he said, what, what's his point? He's given us that authority so we would do what? Go therefore. Go therefore. To every nation, making disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them the things that Jesus commanded us. And lo, I am with you even into the end of the age. This is the job. But sometimes as we go through life, just like the disciples right here. Sometimes as we go through life, we hit detours. And it kind of rocks us. And what we thought was going to happen didn't happen. And we end up on a road we didn't expect. And just like the disciples, we need to hear Jesus say, Hey, before you die, you can see the kingdom of God come in power. You can see it come in power in your life, in your ministry. And so Jesus wants to encourage his disciples, especially Peter. Why do you think he wants to encourage Peter? Peter just had it rough, didn't he? Peter went from hero to zero in like one verse. Right? You guys remember? Who do you say that I am? Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, right? Oh, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. So Peter's high, right? Woo! Then Jesus says, I'm going to the cross, and Peter rebukes him. Use the same word Jesus used whenever he rebuked a demon. <coughs> and then Jesus has to turn to Peter and rebuke him. Hero to zero. Peter's a little down. What he thought was going to happen in this this relationship that he had with Christ hasn't quite been what what Jesus is talking about. Now, I think, if we're honest, most of us have had similar experiences, haven't we? And the reality of walking with Christ, is it always match up to to what the preacher says behind the podium? Sometimes life's got detours. And we need to keep our eyes open for what God's telling us. Look what he says in verse 2. So it says, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain, apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. <clears throat> There's a lot of things we want to pick up on there. One thing it says, he went to a high mountain. There's only one of those in Israel. It's only one. The, on, the only mountain, the only high mountain is Mount Hermon. It's the only mountain in Israel that has snow on it all year long. It rises 9,000 feet above sea level. And it would take them most of the day to get there. As they wind their way up to the top of Mount Hermon. So Jesus takes them away. And the the Gospel of Luke, we find out that the reason they go is Jesus says, let's go pray. And so he goes to the top of the mountain to pray. Sometimes there's no better place to pray. But we were, Kathy and I went camping the last few days um, over uh, toward uh, Bellevue. or Stanton Crossing. But, um, Saturday I went up over Galena and down into, to Stanley. And you get up on Galena, is there a prettier view on earth? Will you stand up there and just look, especially on a clear day? Cause it was clear in the morning, man. You could see green everywhere. It was amazing. And I imagine when Jesus and the disciples get to the top of Mount Hermon, they're, they're on the top of the world. And they're looking out over all this beauty and, and majesty and, and the scripture tells us that they begin to pray. And the disciples were always good about this, right? Jesus would probably get there and, and he'd start. And then the, the other disciples, maybe they'd join in and, and say a few prayers. But the, the Bible tells the same thing happened to Peter. That happened to Peter and the other disciples every time they prayed. Take a guess. They fell asleep. They fell asleep. <laughs> they start to, to fall asleep and drift, so they're gathered up there, and they, they don't really know what's going on, you know. They, but it's cool for them, right? I'm having some alone time with Jesus, some a good time with him, and they're up on top of the world. And then the Bible says this phrase; it's it's mind blowing. It says he was transfigured before them. It's like like what's the big deal? Yeah, he was transfigured. The word is metamorphoumai. Metamorphoumai. It means to have what is part of your true character inside. To come out. It's not a reflection. You know when Moses saw God. He reflected the glory of God. But when the Bible says Jesus was transfigured. It means that he tore apart the veil of his flesh. And he allowed deity. He allowed the glory of God. To shine from inside him out. That's kind of mind blowing. This is incredible proclamation of. Of who Jesus is. And what he's about. So I want you to think, here's the disciples, they're up on top of the mountain. They've gone through a lot of stuff with Jesus. Peter's been having a little bit of a hard time, but they're in need of encouragement. And then they fall asleep. Now this is a great way to wake somebody up. Right? I fell asleep and I was hanging out with Jesus. I wake up and the glory of God is, is all around me. And that's exactly what happens to them. Look at verse 3. It says, His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow. Such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses and they were talking with Jesus. So they're praying, they fall asleep, and then suddenly this bright light shining forth from, from out of Jesus Christ wakes them up. And they, they just snaps them to their feet. He's transfigured. The light of his appearance was greater than any light they had ever seen. In fact, if you look at Matthew 17.2, Matthew 17.2 it says, He, Jesus, was transfigured before them, and His face shone like the sun. That's pretty bright, right? Amen. Pretty. That's that's an incredible brightness. His face shone like the sun, <clears throat> and His clothes became white as light. John 1.14, just, just keep in mind the whole picture. Jesus transfigured, the glory of God coming through Him, the light, the brightness of the sun. Now think of John chapter 1. Verse 14 it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So when you hear John beginning his gospel, and he says, we saw his glory, what's he referring to? He's referring to that day, they climbed up on the top of Mount Hermon, it's probably night, the stars are up, the moon is up, and all of a sudden, Jesus becomes like the sun up on top of the mountain. The one who created all the stars starts to shine forth as a star. Beside him are Moses and Elijah, and over, every one of the guys who is there writes about it. They write about it when they saw the glory. Look at 1st, uh, or 2nd Peter, 2nd Peter chapter 1, <laughs> verse 16. Peter says, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, of his glory. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. They all talk about it. They all talk about that day, that thing. What did it become for them? I just want you to be able to grasp this because as life took that left turn and they were kind of rocked, this moment becomes that thing that they can hold on to. It becomes the reality they can hold on to the fact that Jesus is king and he is in control. He didn't lose it, it didn't slip out of his hands, he knows what he's doing. It might not line up with what I want, but he's in control, and that becomes a comfort to them all through their ministry, that they can cling to, that they can hold to that. Right beside Jesus, as they're looking at the glory and the majesty shining forth from him, are a couple of characters. You ever wonder how they knew who they were? Well, it's not like they saw him on a newspaper or something while they were growing up. Uh, Elijah had been dead 900 years. And Moses had been dead 1,400 years. So they never saw him. But as they're looking at him, they know. Now, maybe it's because of the conversation. I mean, it could be as simple as that, right? Jesus looks over and says, well, Moses. And then a little while later, he looks over and says, now listen, Elijah. They, oh, that's Moses and Elijah. Man, what a trip. They hear him talking, and here's what we know. What we know from the scripture, this is not a short. We see the transfiguration as a quick little a Shining bright light, like a flash, and then poof, it's gone, and it's over. But the scripture says they were talking. And the word he uses in the Greek is an extensive conversation. <clears throat> not just a, a quick thing. And we know what they were talking about. They are talking about the cross. Which is the very thing that's got the disciples kind of freaked out about with this left turn that they weren't expecting. So there's Jesus standing, Moses and Elijah. And sometimes you might wonder, you might wonder, why Moses and Elijah? Think about the things those guys have in common. Well, for one, both of them met God on a mountain. Both of them saw the glory of God. Had an experience with the glory of God being revealed. Both of them left the world in strange ways. Right? Moses died. Who buried him? God. That's strange, right? Elijah, what happened to him? Chariot of fire took him into the heavens, right? They they left this world in strange ways. And the reality is each one basically is a summary of the Old Testament. Moses brings in the Old Testament system and Elijah renews it. See, Moses brings it in, the children of Israel kind of get lost, they lose their way, right? Elijah comes on the scene to get them back on track. To get them back walking the way that God would have them walk. And they're talking about the cross, they're gathered and talking about Jesus' death. They're talking about the things that are going on before them. And as we consider the, the confession of Peter, the proof that He is the Christ, is standing right before Peter. There's Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, bright shining light, bursting forth from within Him, and they're talking. They're talking, having a conversation. <clears throat> and Peter, James, and John are able to hear it. They don't tell us anything about what they said, but they, they tell us in Luke that they were discussing His uh, uh, leaving. They were discussing the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, The culmination of Jesus' ministry was being discussed. And so we have all that line before him. And then what happens in verse 5 happens to us all, doesn't it? Look at verse 5. What's it say? It says, Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. What's the next phrase? Because he did not know what to say. For they were greatly afraid. Lesson number one. If you don't know what to say, shut up. <laughs> don't say nothing. One of the greatest mistakes people make anytime time they go to, to minister to a family. Maybe a family's going through a hard time and you're going to minister. You want to have an answer for them. Let me help you. You don't have an answer for them. You can't solve it. You can't make it go away. But your presence there together makes it a little easier to bear. You don't have to say anything. But sometimes we worry about it, right? That's what Peter's doing. Peter's, remember, that's the concept, right? Life took a left turn. He's a little bit freaked out about that left turn. He's spending quiet time with Jesus. Jesus shows him that beyond a shadow of a doubt, his confession was absolute and true. There he is. Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, His divinity pouring out. <clears throat> Moses and Elijah talking about the cross and the road to the cross and the events that are taken up. And Peter is kind of freaking out. So he starts talking. <laughs> My wife does that all the time. <laughs> See, she does it in cute little ways, you know. I can always tell. We're hanging out someplace and, and Kathy gets nervous. I'm like, oh, wow, she is talking fast. And she go, 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 subject, 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 subject. I'm like, oh, she's a little uptight. So me being the good husband that I am immediately answer that situation with sarcasm. I find that that somehow makes everything worse. I don't know. Maybe I got a little Peter in me too. So when, we, when, when some, this thing comes on Peter, he doesn't know what to do. But here's what he knows, guys, and here's the important thing for us to grasp. The distance, the reason he says what he says is because of the distance between humanity and divinity. Do you ever think about the, the, that distance? In, in order for God to have an effect in our life, he had to condescend to us. We don't go up to him. God came down to us, right? You, you with me? And when we consider that, the Bible talks about this idea, the the gap between us. The Lord says, my ways aren't your ways, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. The idea, this distance between us and God. And when you see it, all you can think about is, "When I need some kind of protection from that. And I just want you to think about it just for a moment. The way that the people had protection from the beauty, the, the divinity of God was in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was protection from the holiness, if you will, of God spilling out. And this moment in time, I just, just remind yourself, they're seeing the glory of God. And they're alive still. And in their minds, at least in Peter's mind, he's thinking, Man, I could be dead at any minute. We probably should build a couple tabernacles here so that this glory doesn't get to us and wipe us out. The holiness of God. If there's too much glory comes out, that's it for us. So he says, we need to build tabernacles. But he kind of errs because he wants to build three. And he puts Jesus on the same ground as Moses and Elijah. And the reality is, the distance between Jesus and Peter that Peter's feeling... Is the same as between Jesus and Moses and Elijah. Infinitely above and beyond and over. And so, as he's, as he's <coughs> saying this, he's saying, Look, I, I, I want you to, I want some protection. I want a shield between us. And as he's, as he's saying this, uh, this incredible moment happens. This incredible moment happens. Look, it says, A cloud came and overshadowed him. Well, it's not just any cloud, Man, I, one of my favorite words in, the, in Hebrew is the Shekinah. It's closely related to the word kabod. The Shekinah is the glory. It almost literally means light. And kabod is also glory, but it literally means the weight. The light and the weight of the presence of God. And the only way that the children of Israel could describe the, this this presence of God coming in was as a cloud. It was as a cloud. In fact, when we, we consider it, let's look, it says that this cloud comes in in a voice. This is a voice of, of God, right? This is a voice of the Father. This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. Hear Him. Listen to Him. Now, just hold there for a moment. I just want you to see the sign of this manifestation of God throughout Scripture. In Exodus chapter 13, it says that the Lord went before them by day as a pillar of cloud, and at night, pillar of fire. What was that? The Shekinah, the Kabod, the glory of God. The glory of God over them and before them, leading them wherever they went. In Exodus 33, remember the story of Moses? Says to God, please show me your glory. So he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will, will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and compa- have compassion, upon whom I will have compassion. But he said, you can't see my face, because no man can see my face and live. So how does he come to him? His afterglow. He hides him in the cleft of the rock. Man, so much... So so many pictures. He puts them in the cleft of the rock, holds his hand over them, and allows the cloud, the glory, to pass by. The weight and the light of God. And from that, Moses' face shines for 40 days, right? Hides them in the cleft of the rock. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that Jesus is the rock. And you remember Moses, the first time he did what to the rock? Strike the rock, right? And when he struck the rock, what happened? There's a cleft in the rock. It cracked. And from that crack came what? Living water. You see all the pictures there? Yeah. Jesus the rock, smitten, dies on the cross, and from his sacrifice flows living water. Let any who thirst come unto me, and I will give him living water to drink. So you, you have this picture. And who was hidden in the cleft of the rock? Moses. Because if we're going to be able to stand before God, where do we got to be? In Christ. In Christ Jesus, covered by the hand of God, all that the Father give me, he holds in his hands and they can't get out. And the Father who is greater than him, he's got his hands, they can't get out. You get the picture, hands over, he's in the cleft of the rock, protected by God, the glory passes by. All that stuff going on with this glory of God. In Exodus chapter 40, verse 35, it says, Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it. <clears throat> and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So the cloud, when the tabernacle's built, the cloud comes in and it fills it. So you can't go in. So I don't want you to see this cloud like we see clouds today, like fog. Right? Remember, I told you kabod means weight, Shekinah means the glory, the light. So you have the weight and the light that kind of looks like a cloud, but it's so heavy, and there's this incredible presence. You you can't even walk in the building because the glory of God is there. It's pretty incredible. And right now, Peter's talking. Right, we built three tabernacles, and it says they're all surrounded by the cloud, and the voice that comes out of the cloud, the voice of God the Father. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. Isn't it, isn't it wild? What an incredible opportunity for Peter, James, and John to be standing there in the midst of God, Almighty God, experiencing these things. We saw the same thing in Solomon's temple. Remember when Solomon built the temple? And he prays, and as he prays, it says in 1 Kings 8.10, And it came to pass when the priest came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest couldn't even continue ministering. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So in the temple, the glory of the Lord filled It's so amazing that it pushes all the priests out. Now, the only thing in the tabernacle or in the temple at that moment is the presence of God. But now, a little different than that, you have the presence of God around them all. See, things are starting to change a little. It's getting... Very exciting. Well, wow, I'm, I'm here and there's the, the Shekinah, the Kabbad. I only heard stories about that. In fact, what used to happen is the Kabbad or the Shekinah would dwell between the cherubim in the Holy of Holies over the mercy seat. And one time a year, the priest, the high priest would walk in and he'd see the glory of God. In the Holy of Holies, there was no light. Just let's say that again. In the Holy of Holies, there was no light. No windows. No openings. It's covered by a very thick veil. And the priest is to go in there, and he's to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. How's he see it? He didn't have a flashlight. He didn't come in with a candle. Because the Shekinah... The glory of God was right between the cherubim. It was the light. So I just, when Jesus comes and he stands before the people and he says, I am the light of the world. What do you think he's referencing? They would sprinkle the blood and they'd have that moment, that high priest would have that moment to see the, the glory of God. But you know, it wasn't always that way. Because the children of Israel started to become disobedient and, and lose sight of God. They didn't want to follow God. They didn't want to walk with God. And were kind of doing their own things. And so Ezekiel has a vision. It's a vision of the Shekinah departing. The glory left the temple. And once the glory left the temple, the priests who came after that would come into a holy of holies that was dark. Where they couldn't see. Because God wasn't there anymore. He wasn't in that place. Ezekiel 10.4 says, And the glory of the Lord went up from the cherubim and paused over the threshold of the temple. And the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. So he's coming out from the holy place into the, the outer courts. Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. And then the cherubim lifted their wings and mounted up from the earth. In my sight they went out, the wheels were beside them, and they stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. So he sees the cherubim take the glory of God, they come out of the temple, go out the east gate, and off. And then the glory has gone. But now, Peter, speaking, we need to have tabernacle, some kind of protection, and the glory of God settles down on them. And God's voice speaks. Man, that's, that's amazing. This amazing experience, this encouragement that God gives to them. And he says, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Hear him. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 and 2, one of my favorite verses says this. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophet." That's past tense. Oftentimes you'll hear people say, there is no longer an office of a prophet. That is why there is no longer an office of the prophet. God used to speak through the office of the prophet. That does not mean that there's not... I'm not saying there's not prophecy. I'm saying there is no longer an office of a prophet. Jesus said, the last prophet was who? John the Baptist, last prophet. So he spoke in times past... to the fathers, by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us how? By His Son. This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. Hear Him. Whom He has appointed heir of all things and through whom He made the world. So we have Jesus Christ, the Lord... The cloud, the Shekinah, the glory, the light, and Moses and Elijah, and and the disciples are tripping out, and they're looking at this, and and while Peter's talking, God interrupts him and he says, no, listen, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. Listen to him. And then, what's the scripture say in verse 8? Suddenly, when they turn around, they saw no one anymore, but who? Jesus. Now, just come back. Let's try to bring the thought full circle. Peter's looking for the the bridge between humanity and divinity he wants to build a tabernacle so because that's the only mindset he has for how to bridge the gap sacrifice in the tabernacle bridges the gap between our relationship and our reality on earth and God's divinity and holiness and so while he's got that thought in his mind and trying to speak that God says Shh, listen to my son and then all the glory the light the kabod the shekinah all gone And there's Jesus standing there. Because he's the bridge now. It's not the tabernacle. It's not a sacrificial system. There's nothing else that bridges the gap between the lowliness of man and the holiness of God. There is one God, one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there he is, standing before Peter, standing in that place, the very expression of everything that is true, who just a few days earlier had said, if anyone seeks to save his life, he'll lose it. But if he loses his life for my sake, he will find it. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, And follow me. The truth expressed in the reality of who Jesus Christ is. Incredible moment. I'm sure the disciples, Peter closes his mouth, they don't have anything to say. Jesus standing there. uh, What do you talk about when you walk down the mountain after that? Wow. That was was incredible. It says in verse (laughs) 9, Now as they came down the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one what they had seen. Until the Son of Man rose from the dead. Is that not a little trippy to you guys? They're walking down the hill. Jesus looks at them all. They're all tripping. Man, this was incredible. We saw the glory of God come from inside of you out. We, we saw the, the proof that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That, that you're everything that, that we believed you are. We've, we've seen it all. And, and Jesus says, he's walking down the hill. Now, what you guys saw, I don't want you to tell Nobody until I rise from the dead. I just want you to see how many times Jesus is trying to get them to see that He's going to rise. That the the point in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is the the glory of the resurrection. A, A little glimpse I just saw on a mountain of the power and glory and majesty of the King of kings and Lord of lords. They just saw this incredible moment. And God wants them to be able to hold on to that moment for whatever they needed. That they'll know that Jesus Christ is king. You'll know Jesus is king. You saw it. And you can hold on to that when life takes left turns. That you weren't expecting. When life goes in directions that you weren't anticipating. And they walk down. And immediately Jesus starts to talk again about dying. Right? How, how do you... In order to rise from the dead, you have to die, right? You have to die. So so again, Jesus is bringing up that, that concept, all right? That he's going to rise from the dead. And it says, they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. So, so they're walking back down, and remember, life's taking a left. They're pretty sure he's going to be king. And he's going to set up his throne, and his kingdom right then. They're going to experience victory in history now. Romans are going to be put down. Everything that's wrong is going to be made right. I still want that. I still want all the things that are wrong in the world to be put right. I still want all that stuff to happen. I still want, I don't, to be honest with you, we don't need a, a, a president. We already have a king. We don't need another one. What we need is men and women willing to be obedient to the king and do the things that the king's asking them to do. If we're going to see our world change, our world's going to change from the inside out, not from the outside in. Because God's people were willing to take the truth of what Jesus showed those guys on the mountaintop and proclaim it. He said, Don't tell nobody until I rose from the dead. Good news for all of us. He rose from the dead already, so we can tell people. Meanwhile, the disciples are walking down the hill and they're questioning. They're talking amongst themselves. Three of them, they're walking down. What do you think he means by it's going to rise from the dead? And How's that fit into our idea of where we're going? How's this all going to work out? How's this all going to happen? And, and as they're wandering down, as they're finding their way back down, <clears throat> it says they, they asked him and said, well, then why do the scribes say, Elijah must come first? Because they just saw Elijah. Didn't they? There's Elijah. Malachi said Elijah would come before the day of the Lord. Before that, that moment when, when God rules and reigns, judgment flies, and that, before that moment, Elijah would come. And so they're thinking about this, how's he going to die, and how's this resurrection working, how's this all fit into God's plan, and then they bring up this point. Well, the scribes say that Elijah has to come first, and once we see Elijah, the kingdom and the king comes, and every wrong is righted, and everything's put together, and the world is is put back the way it's supposed to be, and isn't that what's going to happen now? That's what they're saying. We just saw Elijah, we just saw him, the scribe said, when he comes in the kingdom. And he answered them and he said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first. That's future tense. That means there's a day when Elijah comes. But then he also says, he, he will come on the day when all things are restored which is what he's what they're looking for right the kingdom the righting of every wrong the setting right of the world all the things that are sideways and then he says this he will come and he will restore all things and then he he, he says in line with that elijah's coming and the restoration of all things how is it then he says how is it written concerning the son of man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt So they ask him, the scribes say, when Elijah comes, the kingdom's going to be set up. Jesus says, yeah, Elijah's coming. He's going to build on that concept in just a a, a moment. But then he says, but I have another question for you guys about the Son of Man. See, the Son of Man is a scripture spoken of in Daniel chapter 7, when the Son of Man comes up to the Ancient of Days. The Son of Man is the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, uh, God in the flesh who's going to set everything right. That's what Daniel told us about the Son of Man. So he says, Son of Man's going to. He, 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 tell me how it is that the Son of Man suffers. Jesus makes the Son of Man and the suffering servant of Isaiah 52 and 53 the same. So the disciples sitting there asking the questions, how's this work out? Jesus tells them, just go to Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53 and read it. He says, Look at at Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53, and you'll begin to understand what is about to happen to the Son of Man, to the Messiah. Jesus says, in Isaiah 52 and 53, these are speaking of the Messiah, so that you can know, so you can hold fast to the truth of what God's Word lays out. Look at what it says. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently, My servant, it's a messianic title in Isaiah 52. My servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. And just as many were astonished at you, so his visage will be marred more than any other man. So Isaiah 52 and 53 talk about the suffering servant. This servant that that Israel always struggled with. Who's the servant? We don't understand. Jesus is telling Peter, James, and John, it's the Son of Man. It's the Messiah. His visage will be marred more than any other man. And His form more than the sons of men. And in this way, so shall He sprinkle many Goyim nations. In this way, Messiah is going to be able to bring salvation to many. He doesn't say all. Why doesn't He say all? Because the Bible doesn't teach universalism. The Bible doesn't teach that Jesus' death saved everyone and nobody has to come by faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says He saved many because the call goes out and whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, He says He shall be extolled. <clears throat> he will sprinkle many nations, kings, will shut their mouths at Him. For what had not been told them, they will see. They're going to see things they don't believe. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. Then 53, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm or the strength of the Lord been revealed? For He, the suffering servant, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, shall grow up before Him, God Almighty, like a tender plant. That's what happens when Divinity puts on humanity. He's frail. He was a baby. Right? Like a tender plant. And as a root out of dry ground. Something that brings life coming forth <clears throat> out of the ground. He has no form or comeliness when we see him. It means he doesn't look special. He doesn't have a halo around his head when he's walking around so people recognize him. There's no beauty that we should desire him. He's not at this amazing beauty that people want to run to. He is hated and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. That means, rather than looking at him, which is kind of a picture of worship, to turn toward, proskeneu, Rather than looking toward him, we turned our back to him. We, all of us. We turned our back. We didn't look at him. We hid our face. For he was hated. And we did not esteem him. We gave him no value. We didn't care. (coughs) Surely, he has borne our griefs. And carried our sorrow. So upon Him goes our grief and our sorrow. But we thought, we esteemed Him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. We figured it was God judging Him. It's got to be God. God must be judging Him. Look what's happening to Him. But He was wounded for our transgressions. Our sin. And the word in the Hebrew there, wounded, means pierced. He was pierced for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. And the chastisement, the beatings upon Him that gave us peace, the chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we're made whole. We're complete in Him. So when, Jesus, when Peter is asking, I thought Elijah comes first. He says, yes, Elijah is coming at the restoration of all things. That means there's a yet future moment when Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom. And prior to that, there will be the coming of Elijah. One of the prophets spoken of in the book of Revelation, most people believe, is Elijah. Some believe the other is Moshe, Moses, because of the transfiguration. Pointless to uh, argue over it, we'll see. When they, or, or we won't see when they come, hopefully. But in, nonetheless, <clears throat> Elijah will come. But he said, but what you need to realize is you're leaping over the valley. See, we got to go down into the valley of the shadow of death before we come out on the side of glory. And that valley of the shadow of death is the suffering servant who is the Son of Man. <clears throat> so he's telling them. Read Isaiah 52 and 53. It's about me. It's about Jesus. He was oppressed and afflicted, but he did not open his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison. He was pulled out of prison and he was taken away from judgment, which means they did a crooked, a crooked trial. They didn't give him judgment. What, what, what did Pilate say? He's innocent. Then what did he say next? Crucify him. Those two things don't go together. He's taken from judgment. He's taken from prison. He's pulled from those places. And who will declare his generations? He has no offspring, no families, just him. For he was cut off from the land of the living. Cut off, put to death. And he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. When he was crucified, he's crucified beside what? Two thieves. And when he's buried, where's he buried? In a rich man's tomb. See, Jesus is telling Peter, "I know that you have this plan. Where do you think life's going? But you're actually looking at a mountaintop." across, and you don't recognize the valley we're about to go down in. And you and I, sometimes that's what we do. We think, I'm headed to that mountaintop, and we don't recognize the valley that comes between. And he wants us to hold on to the same hope that he wanted Peter to hold on to. Because he's telling Peter, I told you this was going to happen before it happened, so you would know, you would know, I'm Almighty God, and I am in control. Nobody takes my life. I give it. I give it. He's saying, Peter, I I got this. And that, that day when Kathy and I got the diagnosis of Joe and we're kind of freaking out about what's this mean, God told us the same thing. God told us, look, I made Joseph inside of your wife. I formed him. I brought him together. I made his life. His days were planned out. The journey that his life would take is all part of my purpose. So it's not something for me to mourn that he's different or or, or challenge in our life at times. It's something for me to celebrate, to hold on to that transfiguration which said, Jesus is king. He's God, and He's got this. Even though it may be hard, He's got this. Sometimes we look at our world, and it's all kind of teetering, and it seems like it's all falling apart, and things are going all crazy, and we need to recognize that day on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus showed His glory, He was saying to the disciples, we're going into the valley of the shadow of death, but I got this. I'm going to rise again, and I'm going to change everything. Now please, just, I just want you to hold on to this thing of hope, because sometimes we can become fatalistic, and I don't want to be fatalistic. I want to have hope. Jesus told the disciples, it's not going to be what you thought, but it's going to be good. And on the day of Pentecost, <clears throat> when this Holy Spirit came upon the church, and, and 3,000 people got saved, do you not think that the disciples were stoked? Or a little while later when they do it again and 5,000 people get saved. And don't you think they hear the voice of Jesus saying, some of you will not taste of death until you see the kingdom of God come in power? Look at this, man. God's moving and things are changing. And I firmly believe that God wants to do that still. That God doesn't want us to be fatalistic and think, well... Here we are, circling the drain. Even though, here we are, circling the drain. What does He want from us? He wants to give us a vision of that day on the Mount of Transfiguration. And He wants to say, Yeah, I know you thought it was going to go this way, or maybe you thought this could happen, and these changes would occur, but no, those no, that's not part of my plan. The road you're on is part of my plan, and it's going to go through this veil, this valley, this place, Where the suffering servant goes through a time of suffering but comes forth in victory. And I think God wants to show us victory in our lives, in all those things, all those disappointments, all those, all those little sideways ventures we take. God wants us to know. Look, I, I have this under control. And when he looks at the disciples, just look at the last part of the verse. He's saying, I was here, I got this. <clears throat> the suffering servant is the son of man. He will suffer many things and be treated with contempt. And then, he says, I say to you, Elijah has come. And they did him whatever they wished, as it is written. Elijah has come, he said. Matthew eleven thirteen 13-14 says, For all... The prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah to come. The forerunner of the Messiah died, was put to death. So Jesus is saying, if the forerunner of the Messiah died, the Messiah is going to die too. But I want you to remember this day and tell people, after I rise from the dead. He wants us to know. There is always hope. There's always hope for God to move. There's always hope for God to accomplish great things. And whatever person that is. That, <clears throat> that you have on a list that you say. This guy this guy can never get saved. It's never going to work out for him. Look. Put him on that thing and pray for him. Pray that God opens his eyes. Pray that God gives you opportunities to minister to him. Start living for, for what God has called us to instead of looking around and thinking man things just keep getting worse what if God wants us to experience victory here in our valley what if God wants us to experience victory as we take the truth to our own neighborhoods and our own communities what if God wants to do something amazing in our time what if God wants to do all that through you and all he's looking for is the opportunity to encourage you with the message of Mark chapter 9. I am the king. It don't matter what anybody else says. All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. I'm the king. So the things that we go through in this life pass through the hands of a God who loves us and promises to give us the strength we need to come out And just like the disciples, maybe we're taking a different direction. But He wants us to know, I am in control. I got this. There will be a victory. And there can be that victory in our lives as we minister, as we share the truth, as we look for those opportunities. See what God will do. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you. Wherever you go. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come before you. Thank you for the opportunity to to study your word. And God, we thank you for the reality, God, that, that you are moving and working in our life. We're excited, Lord, as we leave from church and we head down to the river. Because there are several people who are being baptized. Each one signifying a life that is is being radically transformed from the direction it was headed to the direction of the road that it's on now. God, that you are able to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine according to the power that works in us and through us. And so, Lord, we pray as your church, pour out your Spirit on us for whatever time we have, however long we have, That we would be men and women saying, Man, I have another day, another moment. I can put another name on my list. I can add another person to my prayer. I can reach out with the gospel that is able to save and transform our families, our lives. And our land. So, God, I pray that we would stop looking for somebody else to do it and start realizing you're calling me. And you want me to hold on to the truth that you are King, God in the flesh, that you were transfigured, metamorphosized. You opened up and showed us who you are. You said, I am the light of the world. You don't have to walk in darkness. We can walk with you. But you also tell us that light came to the world. But men did not come because men loved the darkness because their deeds were evil. God, I pray as we, men and women who have come to the light, that we would be willing to be light bearers wherever we go. The opportunity to share the truth of who you are with anyone who will hear. It's not our job to save, it's just our job to tell. Little heralds, heralding the amazing work that Jesus Christ has done. God, as we go, I I pray that you would overwhelm your church. I pray that you would overwhelm your servants. I pray that you would move in power in our time so that we can glorify you. So maybe this is the last hurrah before the return of Christ. Maybe this is the last moment before you call your church home. may it be our sprint for the finish line to honor and glorify you as our King, Lord, and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.